Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible. I am Bruce Feldman, joined, as always, by Stuart Mandel. We have a big guest for our listeners today, the legendary Tim Brando. But before we talk to Tim, we got to get into this Ole Miss NCA story, which keeps mushrooming. Over the weekend, there was more news about it. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the story where now uh, Rebel Rags, which is a local Oxford-based uh, apparel store that really is heavy on Ole Miss gear, filed a lawsuit against Mississippi State players Leo Lewis and Kobe Jones, as well as the stepfather of Laramie Tunsil. And one of the attorneys representing Rebel Rags confirmed over the weekend uh, Mississippi State has had no comment. They're suing these three individuals for defamation, slander, conspiracy, and commercial disparagement stemming from false statements made to the NCA and have since been published in the university's response to the notice of allegations. So the, we know that these NCA cases always get ugly. And I think the longer it drags on and the more serious it becomes, it starts to move its way out of just the NCAA kangaroo court, if you will, into the actual courts. It happened way back with the Alabama Albert Means case. There were a lot of lawsuits after the fact. Obviously, where there was way more money and seemed to have been involved, by the way, and the Todd McNair USC thing happened in 2010. The Todd McNair lawsuit is still um, working its way through the courts because ultimately people's reputations take a major ding because of whatever comes out here. So the where we are in this case, the NCAA, just for people who haven't been following every minute of this, you know, the NCAA put out some original uh, allegations against Ole Miss early last year. Then the Laramie Tunzel draft night saga happened and they reopened the investigation and then the revised ones came out earlier this year and they were much more serious. One of the key allegations in there was a former Ole Miss recruit basically alleging flat out that they that Ole Miss paid him. And that recruit is Leo Lewis now playing for Ole Miss's rival Mississippi State. Yeah, and this is where it gets really juicy. Leo Lewis, when the uh, notice of allegations came out, and this was in late February, subtweeted this Joker gif and uh, of the Joker applauding, and it obviously was throwing some salt in the wounds here. There's a there's a lot of drama that's wrapped into this because the NCAA, as you know, as you said, granted a you know an arch rival player limited immunity to make allegations against Ole Miss. And then this kid is, is gleefully celebrating on it. And then on top of it, and we had mentioned this on the podcast before, uh, Ole Miss is, has tried to interview uh, Mississippi State head coach Dan Mullen part of this. And also, according to Rivals.com, Ole Miss has sent the NCAA a recording of Leo Lewis's mother claiming to have taken money. So now where this gets, like I said, really, really juicy is uh, your old colleague, Michael McCann, who is an attorney, I believe, works at SI, did a piece with Pete Thamel on Monday or at least on Sunday, I guess it was. And they wrote about this and, and the possibility of Leo Lewis being forced to testify under oath, uh, as I tweeted this earlier, if that happens you know, if I'm Greg Sankey, I am really uncomfortable with the direction this is going in now. 
So, and this analogy I gave to you offline, it really starting to feel like the last scene of Reservoir Dogs, where all three, you know, people are pointing guns at each other, and basically they all end up going down at the end. I mean, that's when you start getting it to this level, it's getting really, really ugly. This uh, concept of giving a current player immunity, because if he took money from any school, he's ineligible. The idea of giving him immunity just so that he'll rat out the school that they're trying to get is a effect, relatively new and effective concept, but I don't know that we... This may be the first uh, opportunity to see the unfortunate consequence of that, which is now he's dealing with, you know, an actual lawsuit. I also just like... Putting aside this lawsuit for a second, just the fact that he's become the enemy of Ole Miss, and he is still a current player, which I can't, you know, usually the the, the, the whistleblowers in these cases are not a current college football player. I mean, I actually fear for this kid's safety a little bit. I mean, he is the enemy now of the entire Ole Miss nation. People are furious. All it would take is, you know, a certain deranged fan who you know hates this guy with a fiery passion now and something bad uh happens so and i'm not sure the ncaa could have anticipated that when they gave this kid immunity maybe they were naive enough to think his identity would remain a secret i don't know how would the ncaa be that naive to not think that this has a potential to get really really nasty i don't know it's a hotly contested recruit who is basically turning in the arch rival of a rivalry that is just so nasty and has been so bitter for so long. Why would you not think it's going to get that way? Do you watch the show Billions? I do not. Well, I'm sure a lot of the listeners do, and I'll try to make this analogy without giving away too much. But in the show, the prosecutor in New York, Chuck Rhodes, becomes so obsessed with taking down this hedge fund billionaire that he kind of like lets the emotions get the better of him and do all kinds of stuff that you're, that he shouldn't do just to get this guy. I wonder if there's a little bit of that going on with it. I mean, the NCA is so convinced that Hugh Freeze's program is dirty. They've been, you know, the first go around, they weren't able to really get the goods. Now they've got something actually juicy. And they're so desperate to get that out there that they do this. And, you know, they put in the document, he's, you know, student athlete number 39 or whatever it is. But come on, it does. If everybody follows recruiting. It doesn't take long to figure out who that is. So in terms of this lawsuit, um, I kind of think it doesn't get that far. Uh, you know, it's very hard to prove defamation. Right. Is a local clothing store really prepared to take this thing to the mat uh, to prove that, tw- that this allegation that they received twenty eight hundred dollars in gear is made up? My, my hunch is it doesn't get very far, but obviously, like you said, I mean, if it got to the point where he had to testify, that would be uh, a real problem for him. Ultimately, this reminds me, uh, you know, when, when Mike Slive first became the commissioner of the SEC way back when, there was mm-hmm. all of this stuff going on. Schools were ratting each other out. Half the league was seemingly under probation. And his goal was that within five years, no SEC school would be on probation. And it almost happened. It was, it was I believe, one school still was. This, as Greg Sankey is now taking over as commissioner, this feels like that. This is a, this is the side of the rivalry that you don't want to see it ever come to. And, you know, we know Ole Miss is in trouble. Is this going to eventually turn to Mississippi State? Who, by the way, has now been the Mississippi State or some representative of Mississippi State has now been the whistleblower for Cam Newton and Auburn and... Uh, and now this case. 
let me reference back to you something you brought up just a minute ago. Do you think Mike's live is still the commissioner? This has gotten to this point with the NCA, or does he make it go away? I don't think he... he can make it go away, but I think he could bring a you know kind of some sort of come to Jesus moment where it's like you know all right guys like you're not going down this road you know Mississippi State get a grip on things I don't know I don't know exactly what he could do but it does feel like I mean he he made the Cam Newton thing go away it, when it seemed you know like there was no chance Cam Newton was going to make it out of that thing unscathed they basically you know the weekend after the, they somehow managed to make it through the weekend of the Iron Bowl rule him ineligible on a sun, on like a Sunday morning and then eligible again by Monday morning. And Mike Slive had a lot to do with that. You know, if there is actual evidence of this $10,000 payment, I don't know that you can make that go away, but maybe mitigate the damage a little bit. Let me ask you now that we've had, I don't know, six months or whatever it was since you thought there was a, a very little chance Hugh Freeze would remain on as the coach of Ole Miss. Have, do you change your opinion of, or are you still where you are uh, six months ago. Well, he's so. going to remain the coach for this season, that's for sure. I mean, they have gone all in. It's actually a strange strategy, in my opinion, because it would be so much easier for them to blame this on the head coach, fire him, and make a case to the NCAA that they're starting anew. Instead, they are going all in on, you know, all this dirty stuff that was happening under his watch is not his fault, and that they should remove the... I don't think they're saying all of it wasn't his fault. I think they're saying he shouldn't be held responsible. Yeah, maybe they are saying that. I guess I they mean, are I saying think that because there are, yeah, they are owning up to to some of it, but you know, it's being mitigated by a certain you know, would uh, these boosters? You can't control the boosters and some of this other stuff. Uh, well, but he's you know, got his own assist. I mean, basically, the the villains in this become. Um, What's Barney's title? He is a he was like a director of like high school relations, but he actually did recruit. There was a quirk in the system that uh, because of Dan Werner's uh, personal situation, Dan wasn't out recruiting. So Barney was. So Barney and Chris Kiffin have become the villains in this thing that they blame everything on. And they specifically want Hugh Freeze to basically be cleared of any responsibility in it. And the charges they specifically want, you know, reversed or taken away, I mean, the main one is the lack of institutional control. So I can tell you why Ole Miss is backing him so strongly or one of the reasons why Because he actually led them to some success. Because he, on the field, he is a very good coach. Yeah. You know, I know people speculate on on how good of a coach he is. They were 2-10 and before he got there. They went in his first four years in four years, they went from two and ten to one seven, then eight, then nine, then ten games, went to back to back New Year's six bowls. So there's that part of it. They beat Alabama back to back years, and it wasn't fluky when they beat them in Oxford. Like they were the better team that day. With Bo Wallace as a quarterback, by the way. On top of that, I think what you have to keep in mind is you get rid of Hugh Freeze and they're coming off of maybe one or two years of postseason bowl ban. And scholarship hits, and you're in the SEC West, and you probably have next to Mississippi State the worst facilities, I would say by far, in that division. That's not that appealing of a job. I mean, you're going to stretch to hire somebody. So I think that factors into it, too. It's like, who are you going to get in the wake of all that? 
I'm just saying I think that they're being not either naive or they do know what's going to happen, but they're just going to throw a Hail Mary here. There's no scenario where this, and you know, if it were like one isolated allegation and they tried to pin it on Hugh Freeze, they might be able to argue, yeah, you're right, it was just this one rogue assistant. When it's this much stuff, and specifically I should note, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago, the NCAA really changed and toughened the language to say that a head coach is, you know, Jim Beheim had to serve a suspension. Jim Calhoun had to serve a suspension. These guys served suspensions. The allegations weren't about them. It was, this happened under your watch. So there's no question in my mind they're going to hold Hugh Freeze responsible for this. Now, Ole Miss could say, okay, no, even with all that, we're sticking with him. But here's my question to you. Ole Miss went 5-7 and seven last year. This investigation has become so toxic that they're not, he's not able to recruit the, the um, you know, Laramie Tunzels and um, Laquan Treadwells right now. The class last year was not that good. They go 5-7 and seven again this year, and they are going to pick to finish last in the division. Does it then become a little bit easier to sever ties? No, I think, look at their schedule. They're probably going to start out, you know, 3-0 or so before they get into Alabama and Auburn. But... We'll see. I mean, I think that at this point, you know, if they go seven and five, and I think it's very, I'd be surprised they go five and seven. If you look at their non-conference schedule, they should win all four of those games. Then they sh- should be able to find two other wins. I think. I mean, look, Shea Patterson's one of the more talented quarterbacks. They have probably as good a group of young receivers as anybody in the league. I think they'd have a, you know, again, I would five and seven. Maybe that does change it, but I don't. You know, if they're seven and five, I don't think it does. Maybe he beats Alabama again this year and he gets a contract extension on top of everything else. All I'm telling you is these schools spend a lot of money. They lawyer up. They spend so much money trying to fight these things. And ultimately, you know, it usually sticks. If they've got this much on the school, it, I, you know, are they going to add another year of postseason? Are they going to add more scholarship limits on top of what Ole Miss already did? I don't know. But the idea that they're going to take out the most severe allegations in there and say, okay, we buy your argument that Hugh Freeze shouldn't be held responsible in any way, it's just not going to happen. So that's where this is headed. They'll have to make a decision at that point if they're going to keep on a coach who's been directly implicated like that. And then the lawsuit, whether the lawsuit makes it through the system or not, I just think this this dynamic that's going to exist for at least a year, if not longer, where this active player for Mississippi State is responsible for a lot of Ole Miss's misfortunes. You know, he's not playing on in California. He's playing right there in the state. I think it's very uncomfortable. And uh, I got to think some people involved in this regret having gone down this road. Yeah. Stay tuned. Should we bring on a man who not that long ago would have been the guy hosting the show that people would have been calling in, Ole Miss fans would have been calling in to vent to, a man who is the world's biggest NBA fan. Who would that be? A guy who um, inadvertently became a subject of last week's podcast when Bruce, for some reason, asked me if I wanted to get Tim Brando off of Twitter. This was Tim's response. I just meant... As friends and supporters of his to save Tim from Tim. Well, anyway, here was Tim's response on June 9th. I am so done with Bruce Feldman CFB, quote, opining about my tweets. So you will be getting, all caps, the brunt of Tim whenever I appear on the Audible. Well, that moment is now. Yes. Yeah, well, it's a little bit like uh, survivors of the Trump campaign trying to save 
you know, Trump from Trump. You know what I mean? And and I and I just don't get that, uh, Bruce. I don't. I, I know that you feel this this insatiable need to uh, help me help you when it comes to me, and that's a wonderful thing. My wife Terry really appreciates it. But uh, frankly, uh, I, I I think that um, my NBA rant has been justified. Well, I, there have been a lot of rants. I don't know exactly the exact start point, but I'm thinking this was the key one from May. 23rd during the middle of the NBA playoffs. I'm watching the oh, voice. They were bad then, boy. I'm watching the voice. I couldn't care less about what the NBA product tonight really is, and it's a shame to admit it. The NBA is awful. Um, as I said to Bruce, I don't claim to be the world's most ardent NBA follower, but I do find this particular era of the NBA to be pretty exciting. Uh, like the Cavs scoring 49 points in the first quarter the other night. Apparently, you disagree. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I just, um, first off, the playoffs leading up to the finals were just a gargantuan failure. See Charles Barkley for details. Blowout after blowout. Sweep after sweep, which, by the way, not that they need our sympathy, fellas, but Disney is taking a financial bath on this. If you don't get more than five games in the championship series, and you've had, and this year they had the Western side, the, the Western finals, not the Eastern. And so I, that just meant, Sweep after sweep after sweep if you were playing Golden State. Not good. And they already, uh, ESPN, overspent $2 billion with a B uh, for that uh, enterprise. And, you know, honestly, along with overpaying for the NFL and the uh, $400 million mistake that was the Longhorn Network, that's responsible for a lot of our colleagues being out of work. So I, I, I stand behind that statement. I think the league... Uh, has become unwatchable in many respects. I thought, and even today, as we are talking today, prior to game five, not nearly enough being made, Stu. Now, you're a champion of basketball in general. I love basketball. It's not, it's not that I hate the NBA. It's that I hate the packaging of the NBA. This, and it began when I was doing games in the NBA with Turner in the mid-90s. Jordan left the league, and then they were like, oh, my God, what do we do? They're doing all these um, – uh, infomercials with Bill Murray about him joining the Bulls to join up. And I remember Stern was calling executives at regional networks saying, you got to run this, you got to run it. It became much more about entertainment than it did about the game. And, uh, you know, it's not about team. It's about individuals. And the only conversation that's out there is about, you know, the legacy of LeBron or is KD going to, uh, the baton going to be passed to him. Please give it up enough already um the, the the bottom line is that uh what happened in game four should be the the, the main story uh that was incredible what happened lying and deceit from the scores table to the officials over the double technical on draymond and then changing it to kerr you know applause for van gundy and doris burke for exposing them but where where is the conversation today Stu, if that had happened in an NCAA tournament game, can you imagine what it would have been like, the conversation in the aftermath of game management in game four? Think about that. Tim, I think I've detected what this is really with you. I think I am going to, <laughs> Stu, I, I have figured out the source of Tim's hate watching, hate tweeting, which is this. Uh, and it reminds me a lot of the backlash Tim Tebow. 
I think those of us who cover Tim Tebow like Tim okay. Tebow. We like uh, think he's a done some amazing off field work. Now he wasn't a, obviously a great NFL quarterback, but what this was, and my point was, it was almost like you know people feeling like the oversaturated, like the like the Black Eyed Peas music is being forced on them. I'm recoiling from Shove that. Down recoiling yeah. from Shove down your throat. Yeah, and yeah. so you feel yeah. like that. Yeah. I think there's an element of recoil to the quote embrace debate culture that is is crowding Tim. And and Tim doesn't want to force down his throat. And this is the recoil because, you know, I, I see I know you you like the golf channel. I know you like uh, yep. women's softball things that I would I say do. are under the radar and, and less sampled flavors. So now that right. you're hearing this stuff discussed ad nauseum, you're rebelling and you're pushing back. Is that correct? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Feldman. Yeah. Calling Dr. Feldman, Dr. Feldman, Dr. Howard, Dr. Feldman. Um, <laughs> listen, uh, there's some, there may be some truth to, to that, that thought process. Um, I don't have the platform that I once did, although I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think CBS Sports Network is, is rated even today. So, but it did give me an outlet, and I no longer have that. But, but I, I will tell you, I'm perfectly comfortable not doing uh, – sports radio or anything that would be remotely close to embrace debate. But I do think, and this comes up from time to time, Bruce, the, anytime you say something about NBA, that's critical, suddenly you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're a get off my lawn guy. Yet, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm talking about um, Bill Russell or Wilt Chamberlain or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Magic Johnson, you know, I talk about, the heroes in the history of college football all the time. Doc Doak Walker will come up in conversation all the time. Uh, no one's calling me Archie Bunker when that happens in, in college football or even in the NFL. If, how many times is someone going to say a great running back is the best since Jim Brown? Nobody's calling anybody out for making a comparison to Jim Brown, but do it with the NBA and suddenly you know, this is sort of a, a, a social thought process that that uh, becomes a culture war. And I think that's wrong. Absolutely wrong, because I love basketball. Anybody that knows me knows I love that. I love this three-on-three thing that FS1's about to uh, get involved in. I think that's a wonderful idea. So I'm not a – it's not as though I'm uh, against today's culture in, in pro basketball. I'm against the packaging – of uh, the individual first over team, Hal Greer, Wally Jones, Chet Walker, Luke Jackson, Will Chamberlain, best starting five perhaps ever in the NBA, 1967-72, Dale Goodrich, Jerry West, Happy Harrison, Jim McMillan, Will Chamberlain, Kangaroo Kid, Billy Cunningham came off the bench as the sixth man in 67, and then you had um, uh, Erickson coming off the bench for the Lakers in 77. I mean, there were so many great players on great teams and now to justify LeBron's awesomeness, okay, we got to say that Golden State is the greatest team ever? What? Are you kidding me? They added Kevin Durant, the piece that they didn't have a year ago, and now they're suddenly uh, going to run away with this thing in five games because not only do they play great offense, they play great defense, and Cleveland can cannot play defense. They don't have any defenders, and that's why they're going to go down in five. But I, I, it's just over the top. And the lack of credibility for those discussing it, particularly in these studio settings, is, is just over the top.
absolutely over the top. All right, so circling back to the sport that we usually cover here on the podcast, <laughs> that being college football. Tim, you recently made waves when you went on a Louisville radio station and predicted that Notre Dame would join the ACC in football. And when you did, when it happened, I remember thinking, that's weird. I could have sworn he said the same thing on our podcast maybe a year earlier. Where were all the headlines yeah. then? But, uh, no, it was an interesting window into how this stuff gets taken you know, uh, it, it creates a firestorm. I, I knew we were in trouble when I saw the tweets that said, report, Tim Brando is reporting th- that Notre Dame is about to join the ACC in football. We know you were not doing that. But to be clear, you still do believe this is happening at some point. Well, you've heard the term, you've heard the term fake news, haven't you? Right, fellas? Of course. Well, it exists, it exists in sports, too. Now, here's how it works. Guest goes on a radio show. Radio station, because they're happy to have him on, decides to take some excerpts from his, his interview and put them on Twitter and maybe put a link to the conversation um, out there for, for social networking. And it comes out reporting as opposed to giving an opinion that he's always given and has shared for about a decade. That's what happened in this case. Now, there's no denying that I believe Notre Dame ultimately will become a member of the ACC. Just uh, if you'll recall, I told you that there would be a linear network this time last year on your podcast, and you guys were very skeptical, if not throwing my idea in the trash. And now look, even after the layoffs at ESPN, uh, John Skipper at ESPN has now doubled down saying, yes, they will have a linear network beginning in 2019. So my suggestion is that Notre Dame, because of the money they're already losing, and they're not making as much money as conference schools now, they'll be making far less than their ACC brethren beginning in 2019. They're already making less, but they'll make even more less. So, yeah, I think it's going to happen. But this notion that suddenly John Swafford was on the phone with Jack Swarbrick, which was being reported, and allowed the blogosphere to go off and, and say, well, you know, Brando's just a hater. He doesn't get it. He has a fundamental misunderstanding of what the Irish are all about. I mean, that's just garbage, absolute garbage. And no context at all being given to where the information came from, what was really said, and the, the landscape of the conversation uh, that was taking place. We were not talking about the immediate future. We were talking about the long-term future which has always been my case in point with Notre Dame. To chime in on the fake news aspect, Tim, the, I think what you were kind of caught in was a sloppy aggregation, which I think happens a lot. It, it certainly happens a lot in sports. I'm sure it happens a lot in other aspects of the media. Our podcast itself, Stu and I have said some things that I feel like have either been taken out of context or have had – a really sloppy headline that, you know, kind of was salacious and played up something that may be not accurate. Um, I do think that the term fake news, and this is my own little soapbox thing, has been so bastardized <laughs> because you have fake news to me is not when real reporters who have years of credentials go in and investigate something and people don't like that. That's not fake news. That's news you don't like. <laughs> What I think you got stuck well, I, in, Tim, yeah. as I can tell, is yeah. – and I think it – honestly, I think it it cheapens things by saying, okay, that's fake news, whereas, you know, no, that's news you don't like. That doesn't mean it's, it's not real, whereas – and I think it demeans the credibility of others where a lot of times 
you know, you get this this sloppy aggregation. And that's unfortunate because I think and Stu can speak on this as well. I know it's just I think this is a lot of the nature of what we get on our phones and what we get, um, you know, with a lot of websites in general. And I don't know if it's a rush just to get clicks or what's behind it. But I think that that's a legitimate that's a legitimate beef. I don't I don't disagree completely with that, Bruce, but uh, context is the key word. I think context mm-hmm. gets lost a lot. And, and Stu, when you read any sort of uh, blog and or tweet saying Tim Brando is reporting, uh, okay, maybe the last time that you could say Tim Brando's reporting was when I was perhaps covering um, an LSU home game in 1981. Okay, I'm not a reporter. I'm what? a commentator. I thought you were post. Someone, you had yourself positioned outside the Guggenheim Center there, right in South Bend, <laughs> staking out Jack Swarbrick and sticking a microphone in his face. I guess I was wrong. Uh, yes, you were wrong. Okay, Shakespearean breath. Uh, <laughs> it was. It was. It was an opinion that I was giving, but one based on I think knowledge and foundation, which is you know what commentators do. When you're not calling a game and you're dealing with the essentials of what's transpiring, you're reporting on the field. At that point, you are a broadcast journalist. But I have never said that I was anything other than a live event broadcast journalist. I'm certainly not a writer, not an investigative reporter. uh, But because I've spent 30-plus years in the business, I gather it does matter to some more than others what I think. And so when you're a guest on someone's show, you give them an answer. And then to bring attention to their radio station or to their Twitter site, they determine they're going to put something out. You know, I have no, I'm I'm not going to quibble with the Louisville radio station. They were doing what they needed to do, but the way it was received and the supposed legitimate sports media went and ran with it was an example of what that term, those two words, fake news really is. Um, I mean, Bruce can take umbrage to that approach, but I, I, I would submit it as Exhibit A that fake news does take place. By the way, speaking of fake news, we should correct uh, my esteemed colleague, Mr. Mandel. It's not the Guggenheim, by the way. That's a different museum. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like the Google Amino uh athletic complex and, actually, and they just call it crazy. the Goog. It's the Goog. I should yeah. have said the Goog. Actually, Crazy Guggenheim was a character on an old Jackie Gleason show years ago. Just just to, as a point of edification. Okay. <laughs> Stu, please move on. Now, Tim has made it made us all feel young. Okay. Especially. Yeah, so... <laughs> in addition to his work calling games for Fox, Tim also does a Tim, did you just drop a, bo- a bunch of boxes down a flight of stairs? What was that? Did you guys uh, hear that? Yeah. Yeah. That was thunder outside at the Chateau. Holy yeah. cow. That was loud. That, that was that's what happens thunder, when you it? get the Notre Dame name wrong, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> Touchdown Jesus strikes, strikes upon me. Um, okay, so in addition to calling games for Fox, Tim does a syndicated show in this later this summer called Football Saturdays, where he visits various schools. And you recently went and taped the one with Dabo Swinney at Clemson. They're coming off the national championship game. Uh, What did you learn from that visit? 
I think that they're legit, and I think that this is uh, a team that, even with the loss of Deshaun Watson and so many, the great receiver, in addition to the talent that uh, ensemble of defense, that uh, you know, Bullware, all those guys um, being a, a part of their past, not a part of their present. I still believe they're going to be a team to be reckoned with this year. And Dabo's just built something so special in terms of just the uh, feel on campus that, you know, you think of great programs, you think of um, certainly uh, Urban Myers at Ohio State, Nick Saban's at Alabama. But after that, you know, I think you can make a great case that that the next guy is, is probably Dabo Sweeney. And um, I'm impressed, very impressed. I think um, he's got a quartet of quarterbacks that he's got to determine – um, which one will start? I think Bryant. Wow. That's pretty wild thunder, isn't it? He's got a quartet of quarterbacks, but I think Bryant is ultimately going to be the guy that uh, he settles on because of his uh, dual capability, both run and throw. In the spring, he had some issues with, with interceptions, but I think that they'll use the run game and rely on Brett Venable's defense, which does return about half of its starters and the other guys that didn't start played a lot. So uh, I think that Auburn game fellas is going to be a telltale for not just Clemson and whether they can contend to maybe repeat, but also for Auburn as a potential national sleeper, because Jarrett Stidham is such an outstanding quarterback. Um, Bruce, you know, we saw him when he was at Baylor uh, and, and, and got a brief opportunity to start for them before he got hurt. And when Malzahn has a really good quarterback that can chunk it around pretty good, they suddenly get better quickly. So that game, to me, is one of the real litmus test games that we've got to keep our eye on as the season gets underway. But I love Clemson. I, if they win that game, just handing the title to Florida State or to Louisville because Lamar Jackson's returning, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I think Clemson is still – you still have to go through Clemson to win the ACC. Tim, I'm curious. So you get to spend a lot of time with Dabo. You spent a bunch of time around many big-time head coaches over the last couple of decades. Dabo's persona is very different. And you know, a lot of times the image of the big-time college football coach is the grinder who is on top of guys. He is a yeller. He is can be abrasive, can be a contrarian, can be all those things. We and I'm not saying Dabo Sweeney isn't can't be that guy, you know, behind closed doors or anything like that. But we haven't really seen that. That's not the image we have of him. How different do you think that is compared to what you see from other successful coaches who won national titles? The one thing, fellas, that you feel about most college coaches because they control their programs. I mean, let's face it, the college game is more of a coach's game than it is a player's game. That's a given. But in most cases, the great coaches instill at some point within their, their roster, they instill fear. Fear is a part of it. Players want to please the coach. Now, that is certainly evident with Nick Saban at Alabama. I think to some extent it's true with Urban Meyer, although uh, we just saw Urban not long ago in Arizona, Bruce, and, and he is much more affable, approachable, uh, dare I say, kinder and gentler urban than we remember at, at Florida uh, because of so much of what he went through, I think. Um, but there's that element, that fear, like no one's working harder than me as a head coach, so you guys had better 
shape up or you're going to be shipped out, that kind of thing. Dabo's not built that way. Uh, and, and there's no denying his faith. Uh, there's also no denying that Clemson's right in the heart of that faith base, which is Bible Belt. And he wants his guys to work hard, but he wants them to have fun doing it. You know, in the piece that we did for Football Saturdays, which I'll, I'll go ahead and mention, it's on Raycom Sports. It's a syndicated program that you can see nationally, and um, you can go to RayComSports.com to, to uh, check out the affiliated stations that we have. One of the things you'll notice is uh, the upgrades to his facilities there that uh, in the $500 million range, and one of the things that he did was from the locker room down to the weight room, he built a slide so the guys can't just take steps. They have to take a slide, uh, a rather long slide, to get down to work out. He wants them to have fun while working. Uh, it's a little bit sort of a, a, a college version of Tony Dungy, I think, is who Dabo is is built about. And if you were to make a comparison to someone in the NFL, it would be more like Dungy than, than anybody else. And I think it wears well with the young guys that come in there. And um, his staff, I think a lot of people thought when Chad Morris left, and he, Chad may have um, saved his job uh, when he brought him in uh, because they were having some trouble offensively. Chad moved on to SMU, and, and, and Brad Scott's son, Jeff, and then Tony Elliott, the, two, the running backs coach, I think he got a really good combination of coordinators to work together on that side of the ball. And then Brent Venables, uh, was able to establish and reinvent himself after leaving Oklahoma as a true defensive guru. And he's finally, I think, comfortable in his own uh, shoes to some extent. So he's a great delegator. And I think the players, he has positive energy. He doesn't use fear or any negative energy to coach his football team. And that's what sets him apart, I think, in the college game. Well, shifting back to your work with Fox, Tim, you've been there three years now and we want to congratulate you on your extension. You're going to keep doing college football and basketball games there. And uh, Bruce and I wanted to ask you about a quote you had in the sporting news story about your uh, future there, where you were talking about your bosses asking you, you know, what you see for yourself. And you said you urged them to help you become the Vern Lundquist of Fox. And I'm just wondering... <laughs> What that entails, because Uncle Vern became quite the cult hero by the end of his his tenure there. Uh, are we going to be calling you Uncle Tim? What what does this entail? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I uh, obviously really looked up uh, and still do to Vern uh, quite a bit, and I, I know that there are probably not going to be that many comparisons by critics uh, or enthusiasts of of sports television, maybe not um, that many comparisons made between Vern and myself, but I was using the chronology to some ex extent, you know, I'm 61 now. Um, uh, but I think that I've got a young soul. Um, a lot of my, a lot of my broadcasting has been done in the studio as opposed to at game sites. I've done my share of games through the years going all the way back to 1985 but I think I'm probably more identified from the studio, which is not a bad thing. It's, there's a lot of visibility there. It certainly helped my career, both at ESPN and later at CBS. But I think that passion that's within me um, is, is built around all those years that I really wanted to be out of a studio and out of game site. And um, 
And so I feel like I'm about 20 years shy of all the assignments that I should have had because I was locked in that studio for so long. But Vern was someone that I listened to every every Saturday as I was doing inserts for his game, and I marveled uh, at how he was always ready with the appropriate thing to say and the appropriate thing not to say at given times in a game. Um, and regardless of the, the the so-called finish of his career and the, the Uncle Vern, oh, by the way, he made a mistake, but he has to correct it. Those kinds of things happen to all of us as we get a little bit older, I think, but still in the, in the moment of truth, when that great moment occurred, almost always he was right there with just the right thing to say at just the right time. It seems so appropriate. So when I went in there, Stu, uh, in 2014, the summer of 2014, so three years ago, uh, John Ince, who runs the, the live remote side of what we do at Fox asked me, he says, where do you see yourself? And and I said, well, if you, you know, you're trying to grow your brand in college football, and that's the reason you see me as a potential fit, uh, and college basketball as well, uh, I'd like to believe that someone that's done it for as many years as I've done it and has as many contacts as I have, and maybe my judgment hopefully is, is better than it's ever been, uh, you need a guy that's got that kind of time spent in the industry, not just for – your brand on the air, but to maybe help some of the younger guys in the business coming up because it's a young man's game. Uh, I'd like to think that I've always uh, lent a helping hand uh, and, and, and passed on whatever knowledge I have to those that I work with. And even those that do what I do that ask me what I think about certain things uh, about, about the television business. And I'd like to share that with people. If I can uh, enjoy what's left of my career and help others in so doing, then that that's perfect. That's exactly what I want to do with the rest of my career. I think some people took the headline uh, out of whack a little bit. Mike McCarthy, who wrote the piece, did a marvelous job, and there, there were no misquotes, but this idea that I think I said finish line, uh, I'd like to reach the finish line at Fox, meaning I would. I really don't want to go anywhere else because I feel so appreciated, and I think they do have uh, great, inventory and I'd like to stay there, but finish line doesn't mean, gee, when this deal is up or when I'm 65, I, I'd like to extend it as long as I can milk everything I've got out of this contract. But, um, but I, but I do believe that staying at this place for the rest of my career is something I'd really like to, to see it uh, accomplished. I hope that that works out. Uh, and at the same time, help the other younger broadcasters are coming up. We've got some of the most talented young people in the business. Uh, and I'm not talking about on air necessarily. I'm talking about producers, directors, ADs, broadcast associates, that kind of thing. Uh, Bruce can speak to this because he was with us last year, but I, I like the idea. We're all a family. We're in this together. Let's have some traditions when we get there on Thursday night, what we do before the game, what we do after the game, uh, building that sort of, um, uh, on the road, we're family type of uh, uh, thing is, is is really important to me. And uh, that's what I meant by all that. Stu, I think when John Ence asked that question and said, "Where do you what do you see for yourself, Tim? Tim was just dying to say, you know what, John? I see a lot of airtime for me. I see a lot of single shots. <laughs> uh, but jokes aside, Tim, I'd like to talk about that. Let's talk about your ego a little bit. And yeah, I well, think, you know, what you, a setup. Tim, let's talk about your ego a little bit. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, Tim, Tim is knows he has, I don't know if healthy ego is the right way to put it, but 
you know, he has talked about his persona before with us. Uh, you know, it's one that I think he's for the most part in on the joke. You know, he, he knows that he's not meek by any stretch, but in Tim's defense and Tim doesn't need me to defend him in this case, in this case, uh, he is, he's on camera. He was in studio, but he's also doing games. And I do think that, and this is something I've kind of feel like I've learned just from trying to transition to, you do need some semblance of an ego, uh, to resonate with viewers and to project and have a presence and I think to Tim's credit, and look, I would like to say this without Tim being on this podcast, but I do think a big plus for Tim is Tim makes a game feel bigger. He sells the game um, in that and has a presence to him. But can you kind of explain from your perspective why having a pretty sizable ego is a big plus with doing TV, especially for a long time? Yeah, and I'm glad you asked it, Bruce, even though you were a little more blunt at the top than most. (laughs) I I appreciate that. I do. Um, I grew up knowing what I wanted to do. You know, my father was in the television business. I am a second-generation broadcaster. Uh, My father wasn't as well-known or as successful as as Joe Bucks or or, or, uh, Tom Brenneman's or – or, or Albert, uh, was, but, but I would tell you that for me, uh, he was someone that when I was five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, and I'm going to television stations with him, I just aspired to be him. Uh, and then the sports thing evolved, uh, as I grew older and went through, uh, adolescence and then into, into playing, uh, ball myself when I was in high school. So, there was not, not not a time in my life when I didn't know what I wanted to do that I can remember. Okay, so six, seven, eight years old, I knew what I wanted to do. Uh, my father, you know, instilled in me that in order for anyone to believe in what you have to say, then you have to believe in you. Uh, if there's any doubt that you know what you're talking about, then you're not going to convince anybody to listen to what you have to say. So the power of persuasion and the power of communicating in such a manner that people think, you know, um, your craft, that, that, that's a given, you got to have that. And as you get into the business and it will happen, particularly in live shows, whether it's in the studio in Bristol or, um, you know, in the booth, uh, in Stillwater, Oklahoma, we can't control what's going on with live TV. And when those events happen and the producer's got a firestorm and there's a dumpster fire in the truck and, the graphics machine is out or this or that is happening, then you're looking into that camera with the red light on and you've got to uh, navigate your way through it on your own without anyone at home knowing what's really going on in your ear. And they don't, by the way, need to know or care to know what's going on in your ear or that there are problems in the truck or back in operations in the studio. You just have to get through it. So that, that, that's a portion of it. Um, and I also think that, uh, when you're doing those kinds of shows, studio shows, you have to create your own energy. You don't have uh, a live audience uh, in a stadium or at, a, uh, at an arena to support what you're doing. So you're creating your own energy. And with, sometimes with that comes um, a bit of bravado uh, and energy and enthusiasm with the guys that you're working with. Uh, and it can uh, lead those to believe that maybe you have a high opinion of yourself. And, and that com- com- comes with the territory. 
I've said it many times. You've heard it. There's no I in team, but there isn't Timmy B. That that's kind of me allowing myself to be the the butt or the brunt of the joke because I know the joke is what it is. Uh, you might as well uh, not take yourself too seriously, but you still need to take what you're doing seriously. Uh, when you're calling a live game, it's not about uh, you. In the studio, to some extent, it is about what you're saying and what your analysts are saying because it's all eyes on you. At the game, the game is the here and now. And if you put yourself above that, uh, above reporting on the game, then, then, then you're probably going to be ushered to a quicker exit in our industry than you would like. Um, if you're doing a softer sport like tennis or golf, which I would love to do more of and have done in the past, you've got to pull back. If you don't pull back and you're using the same energy and enthusiasm you would for football or basketball, then you're making yourself bigger than the sport. That's not a wise choice. I'd like to think that as I've reached this point in my career, uh, if you wanted me to be a part of an ensemble, I think I could fit in. I don't have to be the big dog. I really don't. But in situations where you open the show and you end the show and you're welcoming everybody back to the show, there's a certain aspect of making people aware of the who, what, when, and how. Uh, but allow your analysts, allow the people that are working with you, you on the sidelines with us last year, Spencer in the booth with me, or in basketball, if it's Jimmy Jackson or Bill Raftery, put the analysts, put those people that you're working with that really know the game and are insiders to the game, put them in the best possible position to succeed. The better they are, the better you are as a result. So um, I do think there's, uh, you have to have a healthy ego to believe you can do all those things, but don't get on overload because once you do, uh, it will follow you. You might as well embrace the joke and say, this is what it takes for me to do what I do. But don't go out over the air making people believe that you really think you are that big of a deal because you're not. All right. I have uh, one other thing, Tim, and it's a, uh, it's a little bit of a confession. So I've referenced this before. I haven't told you it, but um, this kind of goes back to saving Tim from Tim on Twitter. Oh, hey, Stu. Here, here we go, right? We're back to saving Tim – Help me help. You hearing this, Stu? I am. You're hearing this. Okay. All right. So, all right. So, Stu, so we are, it's the last week we have our game. It's Bedlam last year. It's, it is for the Big 12 title. It's, we're in Norman, Oklahoma. It is a rainy, cold, sloppy day. Tim is in the, in the cozy confines of the press box. I am downstairs in the tight silence. I am drenched. I am soaked. And, you know, I think the game wasn't great, but for our purposes as as uh, a crew, I thought it went pretty well, uh, as was kind of the norm when we either go to to coaches interviews or travel around. A lot of times it would be Spencer almost always drove. Tim would almost always be in shotgun. And then myself and my sideline producer, Mike Prince Pato, would be in the back seat. And often was the case after a game, Tim would pull out his smartphone and scroll through his at mentions and read the critics and read some of the hits. And he would, I don't know if he would like kind of get a kick at some of the, of the hate tweets, but he definitely would throw them out there. And I just remember thinking, Oh no, not now. I mean, I'm like, feel like, you know, I need to dry out. I need to warm up. And I was just like, Tim, don't do this, please. So we go back to the hotel. We have a nice dinner at Benvenuti's, which was like one of the better, restaurants in, in Norman. Yeah. So we're gonna have a big room. We get there. 
there. We're going to watch the uh, we're going to have a great dinner. We're going to watch the Big Ten championship. The ACC championship was on and uh, Jim Ross, uh, uh, you know, wrestling legend, a huge Oklahoma fan is there and we have a big crowd. So we're all at our table and Tim and Jr. and I think Spencer, I forgot who else was in the picture. Yeah. um, Yeah. Like Tim gets kind of a bad picture. The lighting's all jacked up or something. So, <laughs> and I'm not a technology guy, but Tim is like maybe a few, even less a technology guy than Dodd. He slides <laughs> me his phone as if to say, fix this Photoshop and do whatever you have to do. And I look at the phone and I'm like looking around and, and Tim is kind of hobnobbing around the room and I see he's got like 19% of his battery. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to save us all from this, especially Tim, but especially all of us. So I basically, you know, I fix his try to fix the image as best I can. Then I go start launching apps, every heavy application, every Google map kind of thing. I need to get this battery down from 19 to zero as quickly as possible. Tim comes back. I slide the phone over to him. He goes, wow, no, there's no more juice here. It's, it's my phone has died. I'm like, well, Tim, just enjoy the game. Enjoy dinner. Enjoy the game. So I think we're all better for that. Uh, one of the reasons right there, Stu, why my wife, who made the trip only a few times last year because we were waiting on our first grandchild. We got another one due any day. Named, by the way, Spencer, after you know who. Um. Uh, by, by the end of uh, July, the baby will be here, Spencer Brando Cruz. But anyway, Wilma Scarlett was, uh, you know, just here, a brand new baby. She, she loves Bruce, and the reason is she believes that Bruce is there, not just to do the sideline reporting, albeit he won't be doing it for us this year. He's, he's now moved to another tandem. But, um, by the way, that might be breaking news, Stu. You might want to hold on to that. You did. You just um, si- sound the alarm. Yeah. You just <laughs> broke news on this podcast. Reporting again. It might be breaking news here on the Audible. Uh, but she believed that Bruce was an extension of her conscience that was supposed to be with me at all times. So Bruce was doing that in her mind for her sake. Okay. <laughs> That was a lot of fingers to poke in a lot of different holes to keep the, keep the water from, from rushing through. And hopefully your grandson will have some of the patience that Mr. Tillman must have. Also, just to be clear, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know that when you mentioned that your um, grandson, who is going to be named Spencer, I'm not sure people did realize necessarily who your grandson's going to be named after. Yeah, no, Tiffany, my oldest uh, she's 34. Tara is 26. Tara had the baby, uh, Wilma Scarlet. But Tiffany, uh, my oldest, married a little over a year ago, and she's about to give birth to Spencer Brando Cruz. And yes, uh, and I think Bruce can identify with this. He's such a good guy. I mean, the ultimate good guy in yeah, every no respect. Yeah. Um, yeah. She she's known him since she was 15 years old, 14 years old. Uh, yeah, I think they met when she was 14. She's 34 now. This is our, out of the last 20 years, Stu, Spencer and I have been together for 19 of those. Uh, the last two uh, have been at Fox, and the first um, 17 were at CBS. So uh, she grew up with Uncle Spence, and, and that's how he, she calls him that. And uh, his family's been guests in our home. We've been guests in his home. His He's got four daughters that range in age from just below Tiffany to 
gosh, I think down to the uh, ninth grade, maybe he's got one coming up. that's playing volleyball in high school now and one in college. So they're really tight, all close. And she literally uh, called Spencer to let him know shortly after she found out she was pregnant, that she wanted to name her son after him. And he teared up, you know, he really did. And uh, then I, um, I gave him a hard time with something I'll keep private. And then, um, but the middle name will be Brando and the last name Cruz. I think it sounds like an athlete. Don't you fellas? Spencer Brando Cruz. Sounds like a guy on deck for the Astros. I think it sounds like a guy who's going to have a lot of dirty diapers that you, hopefully you will be changing hands on Tim (laughs) and not, not shirking the buck to the women in your family. Well, you know, as, um, two people who have recently brought children into the world and seen how, what joy it brings to our parents, their, their grandparents, uh, it's just unbelievable. And, and so happy for you on that. Thank you, man. Uh, I'm, I'm so pumped, uh, and can't wait, you know, to take him on his first road trip. You know, Wilma Scarlett's already made a Thanksgiving in Austin and, uh, we'll see what, uh, Thanksgiving holds for Spencer, uh, this coming fall. So, you know, that's another thing, fellas. I, I, I want to mention this because you brought it up in uh, asking me about um, the, my approach professionally. Uh, we're all either growing or we're not. And I'd like to think that my goals and aspirations are as great today as they were 30 years ago when I started. Um, you know, uh, Bruce, uh, this is the 30th anniversary of College Game Day this year. And I wish uh, all those guys over at ESPN, I know you worked with many of them too. I want to wish them all the best. I'm so happy Corso is back and they re-signed him. You know, Lee started with me, but I'm going to tell you, I'm as excited for what we're doing at Fox and FS1 with the football schedule. We've got the addition of the big 10 to go with what we already had. These games we've got are just incredible. And the inventory is better than it's ever been. It's a game changer for us. And I think a lot of fans are going to notice that too, but I have the same excitement and energy that I had 30 years ago when I was asked to be the the, the first host of game day as I have right now. I mean, I am, I'm, I'm so looking forward to that first Saturday in September and, and getting it going because I think it's going to be a whale of a year and uh, the best every year for college football on Fox and FS1. Well, Tim, we appreciate your joining us. Did have some lightning and some thunder, and some, some, some comments that I'm sure the aggregators that we talked about before will take completely out of context and and turn into the next great controversy on Twitter tomorrow. So look forward to that. Happy to be with both of you, fellas. Anytime you know that. All right, Tim. Have a great right, rest Tim. of the summer, and we will see you soon. Y'all be good. Thank take you. care. We appreciate Tim coming on. As always, you guys can send your emails to the Audible Pod at gmail.com for our mailbag section, but we're going to add one special request this week. So we've had on in recent weeks Brady Quinn, uh, Chris Spielman, now Tim. If there are any other Fox college football personalities you're interested in hearing from, and these are all people who have been on the podcast before, but if you'd like to hear from them again, let us know over email, and we'll try to make that happen here in the next few weeks. Your choices are, off the top of my head, Joel Klatt, Dave Wanstead, Matt Leinert, Robert Smith, Rob Stone, Petros Papadakis, Spencer Tillman. Any of those people, let us know. We'll try to make that happen. 
And as always, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get podcasts. And special request, guys, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the word out. We'll see you next time.